0: Hi, this is Susan Wong, founder of Bushwick Book Club, and I'm so happy you're joining us for this conversation with author Pam Grossman, whose incredible book, Waking the Witch, is is, as you'll hear her say, a love letter or love song to the witch exploring the archetype through history and what it means today as viewed through pop culture and politics as the symbol has evolved through time with all that we, each of us, brings to it. And yes, I said all because I believe in that universal internal witch that exists in all of us now. It was that kind of a show for that kind of a book. On a full moon night in June. Okay, I don't know if it was really a full moon, but we were all basking in some fullness in that packed back room of our beloved Barbez in Park Slope. I mean, songwriters, sorcerers, poets, performance artists, and dragons. Oh my. What did I say? Dragons. Yes, I did. It'll make sense after you listen to our conversation with the magical and incredibly erudite and articulate Pam Grossman, along with BBC co-producer Charlie Nealand and BBC musical contributor and guest host Gary Burton. Without ado, and welcome to the Bushwick Book Club podcast. We're here in Charlie's studio in Greenpoint, and we're which we're with. We're with um, we're with witches, because we're all witches here, <laughs> but we're with um, the author of Waking the Witch, uh, Pam Grossman, and also we're with
1: Gary Burton, and I'm excited to get this underway. This is such a fascinating topic. The book was great, and we had a great night the other night celebrating it, too. It was terrific.
2: And Charlie Neeland, uh, I'm here, part of Bushwick Book Club, and Lesterlit, and can't wait to talk to you and hear about more about your take on the book. Pam?
3: Thank you so much for having me. The Bushwick Book Club evening was by far one of the best things I've ever experienced. I, 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 I say that if you're an author and you are approached by the Bushwick Book Club and someone asks you, can we write lots of songs and do performances about your book? Do not hesitate. You must say yes immediately because you will have an incredible time. What an endorsement! <laughs> Thank you. Five stars all around. <laughs> right answer. Okay, let's have her back.
0: Okay, so so I'm I'm wondering what does your everyday magic look like? Do you have everyday rituals that you do? I do. Um,
3: you know, I have an altar in our bedroom. Uh, so our being myself and my husband and our two cats. Um, so that's definitely a big piece of it. Is I really like the physicality of magic, and you don't need to be physically manipulating objects or whatever all the time. Certainly, there's a lot of things I do in my mental space and with meditation or mantra or visualization, but a lot of it is like I have beautiful objects that I get to look at and spend time with and do rituals with, and that really helps me be in my body and focus more.
1: Is this an an absolutely once-a-day practice? Is it a must that you have to do?
3: No, no, not always. I wish, Um, but I'm usually engaging with it when there's a certain phase of the moon that I'm interacting with. So the new moon is very important um, to a lot of practicing witches. It certainly is to me as a time for setting intentions. you know and it's funny the full moon gets a lot of love and a lot of you know kind of the popularity the full moon's great. It's a great time for banishing or a great tar- time for completion or feeling super charged up. But I find the new moon to be actually a lot more powerful in terms mm-hmm. of ritual because it's all about starting something new and setting that intention that then you're growing as the moon grows. So that's something, um, you know, I follow the pagan wheel of the year. So the eight pagan holidays are very important to me. So I'm celebrating that way. And then whenever I have some something I'm trying to manifest or some I'm, you know, saying thank you for or asking for help with, so you know, I kind of feel it out that way.
1: And I'm Um, also curious to know how that sort of carries on into quote-unquote everyday life outside of that practice. How does that help you in the in the real world, so to speak?
3: I mean, that's actually such a giant question because it's so much about identity, isn't it? I mean, the simplest way of answering that is After I do a ritual, I just feel like something in me has shifted. There's a consciousness shifting, whether you want to call it being more awake, more present, more aware. But something actually happens to me physically. And I I imagine scientists might call it theta waves that you're accessing in your brain if you get into that ritualized um, visual space. But it also you know, it centers me in terms of decision making. Um, there are certain deities or certain intentions that I'm connecting with, so it's it's very it's very grounding, and it just helps keep things in perspective. So if I find myself getting flustered about something or getting focused on things that are actually pretty petty or pretty small, when I go to that more intentional place in my mind um I'm able to make decisions that are coming from I don't know these this is where words fail you because I was about to say from a higher frequency and it's such a dorky kind of new agey way of speaking and I know that but it's the best way I know how to say it you're operating kind of from your highest self then
0: okay I have a question yes um I have um uh like you know People call it a gaydar, you know, that kind of thing. Do you have like a witch radar? Can you spot a <laughs> witch in a room? Because I can spot a Mormon. <laughs> you know, I'm just like Mormon, Mormon. They have a certain kind of glow, and they kind of don't touch the ground. Or are you wholesomeness. Mormon? No, but I grew up with some Mormons. Okay. And my mom's a Jehovah's Witness. Okay. Okay. And um, and you know, so I have. I just like you know, people who are in cults or something like that. I yes. have an extra sensitivity to. So I'm yes. like, I wonder if she can go go to a party and be like, witch, witch, you know. Honestly, yes. In a supermarket.
3: Yes. I mean, <laughs> you know, first of all, and this isn't always true, but there are certain aesthetic choices that many of us make in the way we dress, and not all witches dress the same or look the same, but there are certain visual cues that can tip you off a little bit here and there. Um, but, yeah, I, I I also think there is a vibe that people give off when – they are operating from a space of magic. And it just... It's its hard to put into words, but in my experience, there's a sensitivity there. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean sensitive, like, emotional sensitivity. I mean the energy around them and the energy that they're picking up on. There's an empathy um, that I find that people who gravitate towards the witch often carry with them. So that's usually a tip-off, too.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah.
1: And do you immediately then, if you see somebody like that, do you immediately spark up a a, a conversation with them, or do you avoid them, because (gasps) you kind of already know what they're going to be thinking?
3: Mm, It really... Oh, no, I I wouldn't say I know what they're going to be thinking, but, you know, I engage with someone who I might think of as a witch, or who is a witch, the same way I would with anybody else, so if they seem cool, (laughs) maybe I'll talk to them. There are lots of witches who are jerks, (laughs) and I would probably (laughs) want to avoid them, so, Mm -hmm. yeah, it really depends. It absolutely
0: depends. Jerk witches, jerk non-witches. Yeah, I mean... just. So, why would you engage? That's just
3: it. And it's funny because, you know, a lot of people like to focus on, like, the dark aspects of the archetype of the witch. And I'm happy to talk about that a bit. But I will say, you can choose any sort of spiritual practitioner and you're going to find... There are jerk versions mm-hmm. of it and wonderful versions of it. Pick any religion, pick any modality of healing. Right. You're going to find people who are completely toxic or completely wonderful. And it's the same as in, you know, the witchcraft
1: community. But but to that kind of broad stereotype, do you think if people are meeting you for the first time and they know that you're a practicing witch, do you, do you think they come with preconceived ideas straight away? And, and what are they usually?
3: It, it depends. But yes, some people do. Um, and there's a whole spectrum of it. So, you know, here in New York City, most people are pretty switched on and artistic and open minded. So a lot of people who, you know, learn that I'm a practicing witch, they find it interesting, or they're a witch, or they know someone who's a witch. So there's that kind of shorthand. Um, but if I'm meeting, let's say, you know, someone who's a little more I don't, I don't want to generalize, but a little bit more buttoned up. Maybe I'm one of very few witches that they've met before or they haven't met one before. People do sometimes come with preconceived notions. Oftentimes it's fear. Um, not that they've ever... I'm very, very lucky in that because I live in this environment here in New York... I haven't had to interact with too many people who think I'm demonic or think I'm going to curse them or whatever. But but there are people who they might associate witchcraft with some kind of darkness or shadow or malevolence. And they want me to reassure them that, no, I'm not that kind of witch. And that's why I actually opened the book with... You know, this anecdote that did actually happen to me when I was still working at uh, my corporate day job, which I had for 14 years. At one point, my CEO sat me down and she was like, so are you a good witch? And I had to explain it to her. And... You know, she felt comfortable enough to even approach me about it, Um, and at this point I was leaving the company, so I think she was like, oh good, I can finally ask her about this. Um, But, you know, she had that very, like, Wizard of Oz, are you good or are you wicked kind of binary, and I wanted to unpack that because a lot of people bring that to me when they're first meeting me. They want me to reassure them that I'm not evil. I'm not going to curse them. I'm not going to hex them. I'm really a good witch, just like Glinda, you know? It was and a good it,
2: way to start the book.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
2: That led you right into using the Frank Oz story. That's the right thing? No. Uh,
3: L. Frank Baum. L. Frank Baum story.
2: Yeah. And... Um, and... Actually, I didn't know about his mother-in-law's connection to Madame Blavatsky and all those things. Yeah. And, and, and it was a really interesting way to bring in a, a more open discussion about witchcraft and the sort of transcendence and stuff that people were encountering in the late 19th century and how it came into the world and then connecting that with this question of of a duality in terms of how we look at witches or magic or anything really.
3: Thank you. I'm so glad you think so because you know my intention for the book is to excavate and celebrate the archetype of the witch and to also trace how with every wave of feminism, and now we're allegedly in the fourth wave, witches have been reframed and reclaimed as positive figures and often as feminist icons or forces of positive subversive energy. Um, but, you know, saying that right up front can put people off. And so I wanted to, to have you know, a good anchor for for people, and almost anybody has seen The Wizard of Oz or at least knows oh, yeah. that. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Yeah. Question. I mean, it, that's iconic in itself. So I wanted, I wanted to make sure that this book isn't only for people who have deep, deep interest in witches or witchcraft. I mean, that's great, but I also wanted it to be for people who are interested in pop culture or gender studies, or you know, are, are just interested in the notion of how a symbol evolves Evolves over time because yeah. the witch has evolved over and over again, yeah. you know, for many hundreds of years.
0: Yeah. I love how you, how you bring it, um, how we get to examine the archetype through all, all of those things, you know, and, and throughout history and, and re- it really, you know, brings it home to right now and, um, all the ways in which the archetype are, uh, the archetype is, is important now and how it develops and how you say that, uh, the archetype changes with what we bring to it. And, uh, and I love that because it just gets more and more inclusive Um, but I I feel like your CEO who asked you that question she's really lucky that she asked you because you're so articulate about it and I was wondering um, have you always been so articulate about it and because you seem of course like very solid in your witch identity and did you ever go through a period where it was like you didn't want to talk about it, or you were just like, I don't want to share this, I don't know how I feel about sharing oh, this? Oh, yeah.
3: I mean, for most of my life, it was very
0: private. I mean, your family, they ac- well, accepted, or Well, they you-
3: knew, but I... I don't know that I called myself a witch to mm-hmm. them. I was certainly practicing witchcraft, and it's absolutely a word that I internalized and, you know, felt good when I thought of myself um, mm-hmm. I- in that term. But it wasn't like I was out and proud calling myself a witch in public or in mixed company for most of my life. Um, it's really only with. Been within the past 10 ish years that I've been calling myself a witch publicly. Um, and that's for a, a whole number of reasons. But I, I suppose to answer your question, no, I mean, this is something that speaking about still feels rather new to mm-hmm. me um, in, in terms of the arc of my life. I mean, I'm 38 years old. And so to go from this identity that often felt private. And, 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 and even now, I mean, which is one thing that I am like Mm -hmm. all of you and like anyone listening, I'm a multiplicity of things. So I also don't want to be flattened or made into a two dimensional cliche. And that happens a lot when you talk Mm -hmm. about, I'm a witch. Everyone wants to talk about the stereotypes Mm -hmm. and the cliches and that's fine. But, Satan and killing babies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Flying ointments and brooms. Yep, all of that stuff. And you know what? I'm happy to talk about that stuff, but there are so many other dimensions to the archetype and to myself and, and to why I... Have chosen to use that word to describe myself, um, and that's one of the reasons that I thread my own personal story throughout this book. Yeah, that and was
0: really I love that you did that thank because you. Um, because it worked on so many different levels. Then because you have all of this historical context and it's very intellectual work, but I love how you speak about the witch in a very personal way and you speak about her in a very loving way. You're very affectionate toward the witch and you really feel that and so I feel like you really get this big spectrum you know just as the the witch isn't uh, you know doesn't have to be a fla- uh, doesn't have to be a flattened you know two dimensional thing it's just like your relationship to this archetype is yeah is, is really like uh, fleshed out and thank I feel you. I feel that in the book yeah
3: thank you well I have a huge smile on my face because I wanted this to be a love letter or perhaps a better way of putting it for you guys, a love song to the witch and about the witch because the image of the witch has meant so much to me and I feel like I've become a stronger, more intentional person ever since I've allowed myself to wear that cloak in a more public way. And I'm not suggesting everyone has to. There are a right. lot of people who frankly don't have the privilege to be able to be practicing witchcraft, you know, in a, in a more out and proud way. Either they have a family that might disapprove or a religious community they're coming from or, you know, wherever they might live. And, and that's just here in America. There are certainly parts all over of the world, all over the place where you can see still be killed for being you know accused it's dangerous of being a to witch. share
0: yourself or it's dangerous to yeah it's but, interesting because yeah.
1: I was thinking we were mentioning before the, the 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 feminism aspect and we touched a little bit on politics and I guess it's always been a bit of a a political issue because even going back through the ages into religious persecution it was kind of tied to the politics of the day as well I suppose so so bringing this right up to date and this is something you do address in your book you, you know how how does How does witchcraft fit in with the current political climate? And that's probably a really huge question to ask, but it seems very, very relevant at the the moment.
3: Absolutely. Well, I want to be clear also that even though I tend to use the pronoun she for the witch, people of all genders are witches, have identified as witches or been identified as witches. Um, But I do still use that she pronoun because to me the witch is a symbol that is anti-patriarchal. So, whether you're looking at our government structures, our economic structures, or our religious structures, they still often center the narrative of masculinity, usually straight, white, cis masculinity, um, usually Christian, frankly, here in this country. And I don't have anything against Any of those things, you know, individually or even collectively, but when it's the only perspective that is being promoted or deemed acceptable across all of those different spheres, it's dangerous, frankly, for anybody else who doesn't, you know, wear those identifiers. Um, and, and, And I'm not saying that lightly. I mean... If you are a woman, if you're a queer person, if you're a person of color, if you're a practitioner of any kind of religion or spirituality that is not, you know, the acceptable Christian kind, you are not valued as much in this country. And that's true of how much people are paid. That's true of health care. That's true of the jobs we're given. I mean, on and on and on. And so, the witch really, to me, is a symbol of everything that is You know, the opposite of those oppressive structures. So the witch is very political, and I think she always has been for sure.
0: I totally feel like this book could be used in college courses on feminism, right? Are you going to do like, would you teach a course on on witchcraft and uh, and, and this archetype? Oh, I would love to absolutely. I, was like, I can't believe you haven't been approached yet.
3: Well, actually, um, so my very dear friend Kristen Soleil, she has a book out called "Witches, Sluts, Feminists," mm-hmm. and she teaches at the New School. Mm-hmm. She teaches a class on witchcraft and feminism. So I've gotten to guest teach for her. Um, yeah. Which has been wonderful. Totally and I also co organize a conference at NYU uh, with Ooh. my friend Jesse Bransford, who's an amazing artist and, and scholar. And that's called the Occult Humanities Conference. So I get to lecture in that context and, and things, but I've never taught a whole course. I mean, you know, not to blow up. Not to blow up my spot too much, but, you know, I. I don't have a an advanced degree. I mean, I have my, you know, my my degree from NYU in undergrad, but I, I didn't know, go on for so further. So much went into the book. You, how many years did it take? It's always a funny question to answer because the actual writing of the book was the better part of two years on and off and really focused for a year and a half. But I've been studying this and reading about this and lecturing about this and teaching Mm -hmm. workshops on this for
0: so long. So it's hard to quantify for sure. Um, That leads me kind of to um, what I was it, what I was uh, intimating before, um, we actually began began recording. But it's like you were talking about your podcast and how a lot of your work is uh, is um, is done is in a, in a by yourself in a solitary way. And but then I'm like, wow, this book that really celebrates outsiders. It's now this like great way to connect. Mm-hmm. And now the archetype of the witch is this way you can connect with people. Now I'm thinking your community must be huge and people must be you know flocking to you. And I w- I was going to ask about that. It's been really lovely.
3: um I mean on a on a smaller scale, what's been wonderful is I've started my own Coven, which has been great because I've been a member of a few others over the years. But this is a group of the most badass, like diverse, inspiring, creative people I've ever met. And so just finding my own you know kind of um, I'll call it a micro community has been really meaningful. But then, you know, extending outwards, the macro community of people that I've gotten to meet, whether through the book promoting process or on Instagram or listeners to The Witch Wave, my podcast, I mean, my heart is so full with the lovely messages and questions I get and people I've met. So, it's been incredible. And and some of those people become friends and collaborators and then you make more cool magic together. I mean, you know, what I experienced the other night with you three and with all of the amazing musicians and performers at Bushwick Book Club, I think is a great testament to that. It's when you let your freak flag fly and you let yourself make the art you're here to make, then you meet other people who are making their art and then you make stuff together and isn't that yeah. the most amazing thing? I mean, to me,
0: all artists are, are witches. You know, like we work in that space, you know, in that space of mystery where we don't know what's going to happen and we have to like... You know, be receptive and listen and 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 then, or, and that involves sometimes reading a really great book about witches. <laughs> Thank you. I, f- I
2: felt it that night at the show. I think everyone responded in a way. I mean, we always have good have uh, interesting responses from the artists for whatever book we do. But you kind of celebrate non-duality, and that ability to hold two opposing ideas in your head at once is not something that is common accepted by the rest of the culture in fact we're experiencing not to bring it back to politics but we're experiencing like people considering that kind of thinking something that they're ac- actually going to war against I mean mm-hmm. I mean this this culture war that people are having it's do you think by by uh, discussing this you're opening up uh, a portal so people can actually experience this ability to open up to not just people who are, like, already in the know, but people who are maybe experiencing these ideas for the first time, some of these esoteric ideas and some of just the ideas that are expressed by artists.
3: Thank you. I I certainly hope so. I mean, you know, one of the reasons that I do love the archetype and and, uh, of the witch and why I love witchcraft is that it embraces shadow and light, and it embraces nuance, and it embraces holding lots of opposites you know, to be true at the same time, and most importantly to me, and and we were discussing this earlier. It it holds space for mystery, for not knowing. And look, I'm a big fan of facts, and I, I'm a big fan of the truth. You know, capital T truth. And I know there's a lot of conversation about that, and and we absolutely need that in this in this culture. On the other hand, when it comes to our spiritual lives, I think mystery is so holy and there's so much that we don't know and that frankly, we will probably never know. And I think that's actually beautiful and inspiring and one of my favorite parts of being a human. So, this idea now, whether politically or culturally or spiritually, that we're all supposed to be certain and we're all supposed to classify ourselves in you're either this box or this box. You're either in this camp or that camp. You either believe this or that. And there's no room for nuance. That that to me is very toxic and also very dangerous. So certainly I hope that if people can read this book and even if they're not a witch or don't want to be a witch or don't want to practice witchcraft, that's fine. I hope the symbol of the witch as somebody who balances all of these different um, dualities and perhaps even contradictions together at the same time in a beautiful, meaningful way is something that people can hopefully find a kernel of inspiration from.
2: I think that's incredibly valuable.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank um- you. I did. I had another question. Did your husband know that you were a witch when you met him?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love... People are fascinated by my adorable husband. Um, He knew I was super interested in this. I mean, I've been this my whole life. Just the word publicly is the only thing that's changed. But I have been practicing magic, and I have been... You know, reading about mythology and surrealism and Jung and the occult and everything since I was a child. Like, I have not changed in terms of my fascinations in any way. So, he is not surprised, um, and he's and he's a huge weirdo in his own magnificent way. Yay. Um Hooray! So, so he's, you know, he's he delights in it. And he's also a preacher's kid. His father is an Episcopal priest. So, I think the frisson of, you know, now he's like married to a Jewish witch is like still rather delightful to him. Um, but yeah, he, he, you know, I think he is surprised at how public. This whole thing has gotten. Um, he's super supportive and thrilled by it, but it's you know
0: that's definitely grown since we've met for sure. Cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, my confession is that you guys, there were dragons in the room because we I put them there. My friend and I, <laughs> I, I deal a lot with dragon energy, and um, and I and one of my friends who who also shares this, um, he he built an energetic swimming pool for the dragons because he feels like they like them. And, I was, and he was going to build it on the stage, and I was like, you know, you should really have it fill the whole room. <gasps> and so we were, all sw- we were all sitting in a dragon pool, you guys, and there were dragons swimming around, and that's also another reason why it felt so frisky and fun there. <laughs> you know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so there you go.
3: Wait. Wait, we can't just end on that note. I <laughs> need not to know end- how did you how did you do that? What does that exactly mean? Were you just doing some kind of ritual to visualize dragon energy?
0: I didn't have to uh, visualize it, but um, I can feel energy in my system and the and and this. Um, I just work with the dragon energy and and, and dragons all the time. So, um, so my, but my friend who also does uh, energetic work, he built this energetic uh, dragon pool there and i just told them how high to make it and stuff you know and
3: and so it was it's still there honestly and what was the purpose of it or the intention behind it it
0: was just um we wanted a place where the dragons would feel uh comfortable and um and because we wanted them to hang out to inspire connectedness and as much like as much open-hearted exchange as possible I yeah. love that. And fire
3: energy is yeah. all about inspiration, yeah. the spark of imagination, and will, and all of that. That's really beautiful. It was a powerful night. It I was. mean, it was really fiery energy in there, and just so much fun. I mean, my heart was so full when I left. I was floating.
0: I think all of ours were. Yeah. yeah.
3: It was great. It was great. But I'm happy that you brought up your energy work, Susan, uh-huh. because when... Um, our mutual friend Elia from the band Charming Disaster told me about you guys and, and connected my book with Bushwick Book Club. And you and I spoke and you shared with me that you were an energy worker. I was like, oh, so you're a witch. Okay, this makes sense. And I wondered if you think of yourself as a witch.
0: I never considered myself a witch. I just never used the word. But the for one of the first modalities that I studied is vortex healing And in that practice, it's of the Merlin lineage, and we call ourselves wizards. So I was a closeted wizard for a long time. I wouldn't talk to it about, you know, with anyone, you know, like, you know, it was weird with boyfriends sometimes, you know, where it's Mm -hmm. just like, okay, uh, how do I explain this? Uh, Yeah. You know, how much do I share, you know? Yeah. And thank God I'm over that.
3: Well, I was going to say, and getting back to your question about my husband, you know, and this is true no matter what you're into, like right. you, the person that you're with needs to support you mm-hmm. and they don't have to be into it themselves, but they need to give you room to cultivate who you're meant to be. And my husband absolutely does that for me as I do for him. Mm-hmm. Occasionally he and I will do rituals together and wow, our wow. wedding was super magical and, you oh, know, but but crazy. it's mostly just the thing I do in the other room while he's like, you know, writing a play or watching Star Wars or something on the couch, you know, and, and that's fine. So, I'm I'm certainly not here to proselytize or try to evangelize or convince anyone to, to call themselves a witch or practice witchcraft, but I think more people are witches yeah, than they read- probably assume.
0: After reading this book, I realized, oh, I'm a witch, but so's Gary and so's yeah. Charlie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, if, to me, like I was saying um, with the guy who asked me, um, when I was hanging up the sign for the show, and the guy walked in and he was like, "So who's the witch?" and I said, "Who's not <laughs> it, it's, it's, I, everybody is I mean and to me it's funny that uh, now I accept you know um, I accept like the work that I do with energy and with magic so fully that it seems funny to me that anyone would um that think it would that it was strange to acknowledge magic when I'm like, How does anything?" How do you think anything exists? Period. You know, mm, mm-hmm. like why do you think you're breathing? You know, why why are you alive? You know, like it's magic. Hello, you're like living magic. So, you know, who are you to you know question it? It's very funny.
3: Yeah. Well, I do think that the idea that we are here to craft things is a really important idea to human beings, especially. And I, I know that other animals play, and other animals can be a little bit artistic, but I don't know that it's quite the same as what humans do. And I love that the word craft is used to describe art and magic. Mm. Because to me, you know, it's this connection between to your earlier point being receptive to mystery and inspiration but also you have a job to do you know you're not just passive and then the work gets done you then have to take that raw material and alchemically Mm -hmm. you know translate it and transmute it into beautiful hopefully sometimes terrible but Artwork in, into the thing. And, and not just artwork, let's say. Any project, any creative endeavor, um, I think if done with intention, can be an act of magic. And, yeah. and that's certainly what I hope people take
0: away from this book. Oh, I love that. I think that's a really good ending. Um, uh, oh, but I did have one more question. Yes. And that was, I feel like this book that you wrote is sort of like the book you wish had existed for you, the one you would want to read. Yes. And so I'm like wondering what else, yeah, what else would you want for witches in the future um, that doesn't exist now?
3: What I know is going to exist because I have a few friends working on this Uh are people who are writing more intentionally about witchcraft and activism or witchcraft and compassion. One of the things I do get frustrated with not just in the witchcraft community, but the kind of overall new-agey self-help community, is there's a lot of talk of self-care and self-empowerment. And that's important, especially since so many people are coming to this because they feel like the messages they're getting from the world at large are deficient or telling them that they are valueless or broken or need healing. And so beautiful. Come to witchcraft, come to the new age, come to self-help books, heal yourself up. Fabulous. But if you're stopping with yourself, you are missing the whole damn point as far as I'm concerned. Because I think we... First of all, no one's ever going to be totally healed. We're all meant to be broken and have shadows. And, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't heal and and, and work on, on strengthening ourselves. Um, but you're never going to get to a point where you're done with that. And the reason I think that we're supposed to be figuring out who we are authentically are and what our magic is and what our purpose is, so then we can offer it to the world and connect with each other and lift each other up and try to live with intention in ways that not only benefit ourselves as individuals, but that remind us that we're all interconnected. And so, in that way, you know, I think witchcraft is holding a big responsibility And has wonderful potential in that it can motivate people to make real material change, whether that is lifting up the most marginalized people among us or fighting for the environment or, I mean, we could list all the things that need help. And for me, my practice... Yes, it makes me feel like a more powerful woman, and I've been able to make some of my dreams into reality. That's great, but then what are you going to do with it? And I think we're all here to be more empathetic, compassionate beings. And that might sound corny, but it's really what I believe. Um, so that's what I hope. I hope that the next chapter of witchcraft, and I touch on this a bit in my book, especially in the Covens and Collectives mm-hmm. chapter, but I, I hope we'll see a lot more writing and a lot more conversation around how witches can help, you know, be of service to something greater than themselves. And you know, I often say witches are the future, and I believe that with every fiber of my being, that witches have the potential to remind us that we are interconnected, that we're connected to this planet, and that we have the power to make positive change when we work together.
0: Cool. Thank you. That's so really good. Yeah,
1: thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Great. All right. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us here for this Bushwick Book Club podcast. If you want to find out more about Waking the Witch and Pam Grossman, her website is pamgrossman.com. Waking the Witch is available through Amazon, of course. And hello, you need to check out her podcast called The Witch Wave. You can hear all the songs from the night on our Bushwick Book Club Bandcamp page and see the YouTube clips on our Bushwick Book Club YouTube channel. We're on the Facebooks, too, and yada yada yaddy. Our website is BushwickBookClub.com. This podcast is produced by Lusterlit, which is me, Susan Wong, and Charlie Nealand. We are equally obsessive about editing. I will end by saying, it is so hard to say goodbye. <sighs>